Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. You people here today must really love Jesus or you couldn't sleep, <laughs> right? It is amazing the attitude you get when people uh, realize they're going to lose an hour of sleep. Trips me out. Ain't that right, Karen? Tiffany? Huh? Some of you girls, I saw you already complaining and the day hadn't even started. I'm like, what are we doing? So, hey, if you're watching online, we're so glad you're with us. And if you've got your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Ephesians 6. <clears throat> and we're continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. Today, I want to talk about battle ready. And over the next two weeks, I'm going to be drilling deep into this armor of God text. As Nick said, uh, Easter is just around the corner, uh, April 4th, and we have cards in the Connect Center. Uh, Dustin is back there at the end of the service. Uh, I would encourage you to grab some of these. It's a great way just to invite your friends. Uh, we'll be having uh, posts on social media as well as our website that you can send out to friends to invite them. A personal phone call would mean a lot to a lot of people that are disconnected uh, from church, not engaged with the Lord at all. You've got people in your world right now that are not connected. And I can tell you the power of the domino effect. Uh, when one person invites another person, Mike and Lisa Klotfelter, uh, they started attending uh, last spring, I think it was. And uh, anyway, they started to engage with us. Every week, they're bringing new people. If you see the domino effect of them bringing their mom and then more and more people are showing up every week, and it's just the result of them engaging with us. I mean, they're leading our divorce uh, recovery ministry, but every week they're inviting someone. And the power of influence and the power of ask, just asking someone, hey, I would love for you to join us, and uh, I've got a seat for you. I'll sit with you. We'll grab a cup of coffee on the way in, and I would love for you just to uh, come and worship with me. And so Easter is a great time to get people engaged, and so I pray that you would take advantage of that, okay? Let's reach out. I mean, our passion is to connect your story with Christ and others. And so part of the other influence is reaching out and uh, being a witness for Christ with your family, friends, and loved ones. So let's do it. Each and every one of us, Joe, Jen, I mean, we met them. They moved into our neighborhood uh, a few years ago, started just conversation and said, hey, where, where are you going to church? What, what, what have y'all got going on there? Invited them. They started attending. Gavin loves coming here, their son. I mean, it's just Richard. That's the way it works, brother. Back to the baseball field with you uh, years ago when Jesse and, and Brandon were playing together. And we just start building relationship. All of a sudden, you're like, all right, I'm going to come over and check it out. And now, Richard, I mean, just with Anvil and everything else you're doing with men's ministry, you, you never know the influence you're having and impact you're going to have at any given moment, right? So let's, uh, let's be strategic about it. Let's open our hearts. Father, I do pray in Jesus' name that our hearts would be open to you right now, that you would really uh, just minister like only you can. I, I pray uh, in Jesus' name, and Lord, if there was ever a time that the believer needed to be acquainted and equipped with the armor of God, it's right now. Father, we need you, and we need to be prepared for battle every day. So as we dive into the text today in this teaching, I just pray that you would work, you would minister, 
and that you would bring about transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 6, verse 10, we hit this last week. I want to read it as we start. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Find your strength, find your worth, find your purpose, find your identity in the Lord. Be strong in the power of his might. Not yours, not what you can bring to the dance, but find your strength in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God. That's where we're going. So that you will be able to stand firm. Four times that phrase is mentioned, stand firm here in this text. So that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Satan wants to take you out. He wants to disrupt, discourage, and defeat you every day of your journey. The devil, Lucifer, Satan, when you go back and do a biographical sketch on him, here's what you will find. He is in no way equal to God. He was created by God, but he will never be equal to God. Where God is omniscient, meaning all-knowing, omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, where God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere, Satan's not. He's limited in his knowledge, his power, and his presence. He's been created by God. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 14 through 17 says this. This is God speaking. He goes, I ordained you. He's speaking to Lucifer, Satan. I anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you, which led you to violence and you sinned. God speaking. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you from your place. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you. So if you go back and study, Lucifer was a created being of God. And his purpose was to bring worship, and to exalt and glory in the Lord. That was his purpose. Can I tell you something? Your purpose for being on the planet is to worship, exalt, and glorify God. That was his purpose. He became prideful. He desired to be worshiped and exalted instead of fulfill his role. And God looks at him because of his pride and arrogance, and he kicks him out, and when he does, Lucifer takes one-third of the angels with him as they wage, uh, uh, as they're waging a war against God. And I see that happening all around us today. People, because of their pride, their ego, their arrogance, because they're so inflated with who they are, they end up gathering other people around them that want to live a life of ego and pride and arrogance, and they end up taking other people down. So God's judgment was... He kicked him out of heaven, and he kicked him down to earth. And that's where he appears in Genesis 3 as a serpent. 
So here is Satan's ultimate agenda, okay? It is pride and self-glory, not worshiping God glory with humility. When you contrast the way the enemy works, it will always be birthed in pride, pride. So one of the most, one of the most powerful attacks that Satan uh, comes against God's people with is to create inside the heart of man an attitude of pride. And pride is nothing more than just an inflated uh, sense of self-worth, ego, snobbish, stuck up. And the scripture says God is opposed to the proud. God is a jealous God. He desires our worship. But Satan, if he can create pride, arrogance, ego, that's what he's going to do. And we see that so much around us today. Therefore, since the enemy is coming to attack you to steal, kill, and destroy, verse 13 says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, stand firm. Then he says, stand firm, having Fastened on the belt of truth. Stand firm, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand firm, having put on the gospel of peace in regards to shoes for your feet. Having means to always wear it. Having. There's a contrast where we get to the next piece where he goes, take up. But having implies you should be wearing it all the time. Take it up means have it on hand. Be ready to utilize what God's given you. So here's the fundamental thought, as I shared last week. We must be committed and we must be equipped because not being prepared every day, every hour, every minute for spiritual battle leads to so much devastation. And we're seeing the ruins and wreckage of devastation around us every day in people's lives. Why? Because Satan is the master of twisting truth. He distorts reality. He appears as an angel of light. And Satan wants to take every one of us out. But he's inferior to God. That's the reason, as I said last week, when you're living a life transformed, you don't have to conform. You, be, you can become above the enemy because of God in you. Greater is the one inside of you than he who is in the world. Now, John chapter 8 Verse 44, Jesus made this statement. He goes, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. That's how Satan is, is spoken about by Jesus the ultimate fulfillment and manifestation of truth says, you got to know what you're dealing with. Satan is a liar. He's flooded with deception and deceit. Now, God is truth. Everything God speaks is truth. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? No. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? No, no. God is a truth teller. 
Now, this is why this is so important for me. All right? This is what you got to know. God is a truth teller. So Paul begins this whole uh, conversation, if you will, at the end with taking a firm stand with this. Having put on the belt of truth. Satan is the father of lies. God is the ultimate truth teller. Put on the belt of truth. Now, the belt is the first piece of armor, and if you go back and study the Roman soldier or whatever, the belt held everything else together. I'm not going to break it down. You can go back and read it on your own. But the belt was crucial with a Roman soldier with his armor because it held everything else intact. So wearing the belt implied, I'm ready for action. The Roman soldier would wear his belt on duty, off duty. That's what Paul is implying. Be ready in season and out of season. Uh, you've got to be ready every day. Make sure you've got, you've got the belt of truth surrounding you. The belt was a badge of honor. The belt was actually part of his identity. You've got to have on the belt. This is your identity, the belt of truth. Now, God's truth should surround each and every one of us like a belt every day. Well, I've got, to, I've got to get my belt on. Now, the way people are wearing their britches today and pants falling down to their knees, I'm like, somebody needed to raise that child. I would, in Jesus' name, <laughs> slap my boy if he came in with his pants hanging down and drawers hanging down to his knees. I'm like, oh, what are you thinking about? No, 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 no. We've got to put on our belt, though. And, and, and honestly speaking... For so many Christians that have been around church, their pants are hanging down to their ankles because they don't have the belt of truth on. They haven't established truth as being their foundation of reasoning. And I'm telling you right now, it should surround us. To be ready for battle, you've got to know God's truth. But here's another thing. To truly be ready for battle every day, you've got to be truthful with yourself. You can't lie to yourself. You, you can't be living a life of contradiction. When Jesus made this statement in John 8, 32, he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Listen to me. The truth will not set you free. It's the truth that you know that will set you free. If you don't know it, and again, the two implied words when you study the New Testament is the word oida, which means to just have a cognitive concept of, or the word gnosko, which means to have the experience of intimacy with God. He goes, you shall know, gnosko, the truth. And when you know, gnosko, truth, the truth that you know is the truth that frees you. There's a lot of people that have awareness of what truth is, but they don't know it. Jesus made this statement in John 18. For this reason I have been born and I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And that is still almost the echoing sound that we hear around us today. What is truth? Is anybody telling the truth? Can you believe anything that you hear really? That's the question today that has kept so many people perplexed. And so I would tell you, yes, you can know the truth. But we live in a culture of postmodernism. 
if you go back and study like even the philosophical thought processes in our day, postmodernism has basically said, you, you can't know God, God cannot be known. Postmodernists believe that there is no truth, there is no meaning, there is no absolutes, there's no certainty. That's the world in which we find ourselves living right now. It has been the elimination of any objective absolutes. Their agenda, we will evict God from all public arenas. Is that not what we're seeing today? Where God, the name of God, Ten Commandments, prayer in school, whatever, we're going to evict God. That's postmodernism. They're trying to eliminate belief in God. They're trying to eliminate any standard of, of morality. And we live in a culture that today that is totally subjective, where you become the subject and whatever you want to believe is okay. And it's the elimination of truth. And I can promise you this, any culture that has eliminated the voice of God and the voice of truth and the voice of reasoning is not a progressive nation. It's not a progressive culture. I, I've, I've talked to people and they're, man, look at all the progress we've made as a country. I'm like, progress? How can you say we've made progress even with technology or whatever when the elimination of God is the foundation of the reasoning system? We're not progressing. We're regressing. We're degressing. You got to know truth. So here it is. In defining truth, you've got to know what truth is not. Truth is not just whatever works. Because people will say that, well, whatever works for you, that's cool. Truth is not just whatever works. Truth is not whatever makes you feel good. That's the hedonistic culture of pleasure we live in. Truth is not what the majority says is true. Just because the majority lands on a certain position, it doesn't mean that it's true. Truth is not whatever you want to believe. Because a lie believed is still a lie. I'm telling you, it, it, you've got to know what it's not. Well, you can talk to certain people and they're, it's like, man, those people are very sincere. Yeah, they're sincerely wrong. I mean, you, you can live in such a lie. Let me, let, let me say this. Truth is not being politically correct. Now, you will be attacked by certain people in our culture today when you don't PC check the boxes with them. That's not truth. The Greek word for truth, this is powerful. It means to hide nothing. It means to uncover. It means to reveal. What is truth? I'm not hiding anything. Everything is in the light. The Hebrew word for truth means to be firm, constant. It means to endure. When the Hebrew writers would speak of truth, it, it implied this can be relied upon right here. You can take this to the bank. When a follower of Jesus Christ understands objective biblical truth and then operates in that biblical truth, it will stabilize your life. You've got to understand it, then you've got to apply it, and then you've got to live in it. When you start to live in biblical truth, it brings about stability. When you're hiding, when you're covering, when you're lying, 
when you're masquerading, I'm telling you, it leads to all different types of hell. If you study truth from a philosophical perspective, here are three ways that you can understand or define truth. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Again, as I've said, our words create worlds. We've got to go back and define our words that we speak, right? But what is it that corresponds with what is reality? If I say that two plus two is four, it must correspond with reality. When people try to use different answers, I'm like, it doesn't correspond to reality. Truth is never based on perception. Perception is always subjective. The thing that blows me away, well, here's my perception. Well, what does that mean? Are we just going to open up conversations and open up dialogue and relationships to everything just being how you perceive it? We want to be able to get to what is truth. What, 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 what is reality? Truth will always be consistent with this object. Truth is not subjective, as I said. It's objective. Truth is already predetermined and established by God. It's predetermined. Truth does not change with the latest fad or whatever the cultural idea is. That's not, that's not necessarily true. Um, I mean, culture is always changing, but culture is eroding and moving from truth. Truth for me is the standard that everything else must conform to. I must use a truth standard. That's the reason even when you go back and look at what was the canonization process, the word canonization means a standard or a rule. How did these 66 books become our canonized standard uh, word, if you will, the word of God? It had to meet a certain standard. It had to show that it was trustworthy. All right? So truth is telling it like it is. It's always there. It hides nothing. It's revealed it doesn't cover, it doesn't fragment. All right, does that make sense to you? Because we've got to know what truth is. Put on the belt of truth. And we're living in a world where it takes a little bit of discernment to be able to comb through what is truth and what's not. Here are some of the cultural challenges, if you will, to truth. Relativism. Relativism is huge in our day. And it says that all truth is relative. There's no such thing as absolute truth. It's relative. It's, it's according to who you're talking to. It's according to what culture you're in. A psychologist, uh, an accountant, and a lawyer were sitting around sipping coffee talking about the nature of truth. The psychology, uh, psychologist said, truth is what you feel it to be. The accountant said, truth is what you need it to be. And the lawyer said, no, truth is what you want it to be. That's our culture. Whatever you feel, whatever you think you need, whatever you think you want, and it becomes such a slippery slope. That's the reason when you listen to certain arguments, whether it's coming out of the church or out of the high levels of political structure or even out of the school system or whatever, it's trying to eliminate God's voice is trying to eliminate God's truth. It's trying to evict the voice of God so that every man is left to do life ever how he chooses to do it. Skepticism is big in our day. 
A skeptic will doubt all truth. A skeptic will doubt anything. He will question everything. He will create doubts about anything. A skeptic must be skeptical of his own skepticism because he don't have anything to live for. I mean, right? Got any skeptics in your life? If you hang out with a skeptic, let me tell you something. That is one fatiguing, exhausting, tiring relationship to be in. Then you've got the agnostic, and agnostic says you can't know truth. That mindset is self-defeating because it claims to know one truth that you can't know truth, so their argument falls apart. But that's the culture in which we live. Well, I just don't think you can know it. We must know God's truth. We must know God's word. We must know what God has written. Why? Because there's grave consequences for being wrong. You give someone the wrong amount of medication, you can kill them. You make poor investments with your money, you can become broke. You get involved with an unfaithful marriage partner, it can lead to the destruction of marriage or even potentially to the spread of diseases. It's like, hold on. Hold on. What am I giving? What am I sharing? Do I know truth? Am I putting on the belt of truth every day? When Jesus was tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, what did he do? He quoted truth. Jesus said, it is written. What is the only offensive thing that I have when the enemy comes against me? It is the truth. That's the reason I've got to have the belt of truth on so that when I take the sword of the spirit, I know what the word of God says. Here's the question. Are you committed to knowing truth? Are you committed to pursuing truth? Are you committed to living a truthful life? Do I obey God's truth across the board? Or do I a la carte scripture and cut and paste it to make it what I want it to be? We have to wear and be equipped with the belt of truth every day, guys. We've got to. Because Satan is going to come against every one of us. And if we don't know what God has established and what God has said, he will eat our lunch. Having put on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate of righteousness covered the vitals and the breastplate of righteousness for a Roman soldier covered his heart. And protecting our heart, listen to me, protecting our heart is absolutely crucial because once the heart stops, the body shuts down. You've got to protect the heart. What is true in the physical is also true in the spiritual. The writer of Proverbs in chapter 4 said, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. The course of life is determined by what's in the heart. Jesus spent so much time emphasizing getting your heart right. I met with a guy recently that was in full-time Christian ministry, and he had to step down. 
he opened himself up to this emotional affair with this female. And his exact words to me was, I did not protect my heart. Meaning the thinking, the emotions, and all that stuff that's tangled in. When he talks of the heart, he's talking about the core of who we are. I didn't protect my heart. I opened up my heart. I became emotionally friendly. I became emotionally attached. I became emotionally almost dependent upon this other relationship. We've got to guard our hearts. And if we've been given a heart of flesh based on the spiritual transformation and not a heart of stone, then God wants us to protect and wear righteousness every day. If you've repented of your sin and have really trust Jesus Christ as Lord, the Bible says you have been justified. The word justified means God has declared you righteous because of faith in Christ. God declares me righteous. Now I have to choose now to clothe myself in the righteousness of God. Just, just close your, this is who I say you are. You're righteous. Are you walking righteous? Are you allowing what God says to be true about you to be the way you see yourself? You're righteous, which means God has put a standard out before me to say, I want you to walk in this way. So I was thinking about God's righteousness. God's righteousness was made available to each and every one of us through a lopsided trade. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin. All of my sin was dumped on him, and, and Jesus says, I want to trade with you. I want to trade your perversion, and I want to trade how jacked up and twisted you are. I want to take all your sin on the cross, and I'm willing to give you my righteousness. How are you made righteous? Is it self-righteousness? No. It is straight God righteousness. When I understand that everything, past, present, and future, has been laid on Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, in exchange, has made his righteousness available to me. When God looks at me, he goes, you're righteous through the shed blood of Jesus. God's righteousness cannot be bought. It has been paid for. And if I get my mind wrapped around that, it's like it doesn't cost you anything, but it costs Jesus everything. I took your sin. I took your shame. I took your guilt. And God would never ask you to pay for something that you couldn't afford anyway. Romans 5, 9 says we have been justified, which means I have been declared righteous and free of guilt and shame through the shed blood of Jesus. Craig, it would do us so much good, brother, when we look in the mirror to go, wow, I'm looking at the righteousness of God. I am who God says I am. And so as I walk out into the world, I'm not trying to prove my worth. I can live my worth. And I'm not trying to leverage anything that I've done to show that I'm somebody or anybody. I'm like, I'm righteous because God says I'm, I'm righteous. I'm declared guilt-free in his eyes. And the cool thing about God's righteousness is it's eternal. It's not just temporal. When you go back and study trials, and I'll get into this even on Easter Sunday, 
But in a courtroom, when a case was dismissed, it's gone. It's done. The issue is over. Again, they would stamp on the paper to Telestai, paid in full, totally dealt with, gone forever. It's been dealt with. So God's forgiveness and God's righteousness that he extends to us every day, Andrew, is that to Telestai, everything that your sin and your waywardness required, I have paid it in full. I now declare that you're righteous. I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It will change the way you do life when you start to wear it every day. I'm righteous in God's eyes. Are you still going to make mistakes? Yes. Conditionally, is there still a chance that you're going to screw things up at times? Yes. But positionally, I am righteous. So that positional righteousness should lead, for, should lead me to a, a daily desire to be conditionally righteous. I, I want to walk as a righteous person before the Lord because that's how God sees me. So every action begins with a thought. Every thought begins with something that you're entertaining, whether it be of truth or a lie, as a man thinks so he is. We've got to take our thoughts captive. We've got to believe, Russell, what God says to be true about us because me walking righteous is going to depend on me being fixated on God's word and God's truth. So I just wrote this down just as a, a simple reminder of walking in righteousness with God. Walking in righteousness with God is doing the will of God. It's being empowered by the Holy Spirit, which allows me to imitate the Father. When I'm walking in a righteous way, I'm doing things for God's glory and for the good of my neighbor. Unrighteousness is choosing to speak and act according to my sinful flesh. That was unrighteous. Self-righteousness is doing things in my own power so I can benefit from it. And God goes, can the self-righteousness, can the unrighteousness, I want you to walk righteous. I want you to do my will. I want you to know who I am. We've got to be clothed every day in the righteousness of Christ. I'm telling you, we've got to put on the full armor. And then he says this, as shoes for your feet, in regards to the shoes for your feet, put on the gospel of peace. If the world ever needed for the follower of Jesus to be walking in peace, it's right now. If there was ever a need for hush and calmness and the shalom of God to be brought into the spaces of your work, family, whatever, it's now. And when you go back, the sandals and shoes that the Roman soldiers would wear they were fitted with these little spikes on the bottom of them. And I played baseball for years, and I understand the importance of having good spikes. And when the metal would wear down and they would become slippery and you couldn't get a good foundation, when I was on the pitcher's mound, I'm like, man, I got I to I get some new shoes because the spikes are wearing down. The Roman soldiers wore these shoes with these little spikes on it, and it allowed them to get a firm foundation. It didn't matter what the conditions was. 
It didn't matter what the weather was. The shoes that they wore prepared them so that they wouldn't slip and they wouldn't slide. They would be able to stand firm to do battle. And you know as well as I do, you get on bad shoes sometimes. And things can be rough on your feet. And I've been out with bad shoes on and slipping and sliding. And I'm like, man, I can't compete right now because of my shoes. Check this out. Forrest Gump is one of my favorite movies. Those must be comfortable shoes. I bet you could walk all day in shoes like that and not feel a thing. I wish I had shoes like that. My feet hurt. Mom always said there's an awful lot you could tell about a person by their shoes. Where they going, where they been. I've worn lots of shoes. I love Forrest Gump. I think it's a funny movie, right? But here's the deal. That last line, I've worn a lot of shoes. And we're living in a culture where you can walk into the closet and you've got multiple pairs of shoes. You wear shoes every day. The problem for so many people is that their reputation when they walk into a space is they're wearing shoes of conflict. Everywhere they go, they just bring conflict in. That's what they're wearing. Some they wear the shoes of control, controversy, confusion, chaos. You ever thought about that? Like, when you put on your shoes, what, what kind of shoes do you wear? When your feet steps into a space, what, what is it bringing? Because even Paul would say in Romans 10, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. And Kenny, we have to choose to put on the gospel of peace on our feet so that when we walk into whatever environment, whatever relationship, whatever conversation, do I bring peace or do I bring tension or do I bring conflict? What kind of shoes am I wearing today? And Paul goes, make sure that you're putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Here's peace. Peace is a contentment deep down inside the soul, regardless of whatever circumstances is going on. Peace transcends circumstances. Peace is having confidence that God is faithful and dependable no matter what you're going through. I promise you, that's peace. That's where I can walk in and bring the peace of the Lord. Peace is joy in the Lord in the midst of uncertainty, adversity, turmoil, whatever bring peace. Peace does not come from circumstances. Peace does not depend on things just being good in your life right now. All hell can be breaking loose and you can still have peace because of the joy of the Lord and the contentment in your soul because of the right relationship that you have with him. 
True peace is based on the fact that the God of all creation, that holy God now resides inside of me. He is with me. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter where I'm at, lo God, you are with me even until the ends of the age. A lot of people think that if they're experiencing storms and conflict, that God's not with them. God does not eliminate storms in life. But God does promise and guarantee to us his presence, his power, his perspective, and peace no matter where we're at. I'll never leave you. And I think a lot of times when we face turmoil, tension and heartache, we begin to pray that God would remove the storm instead of God revealing his peace in the midst of the storm. We do. It's like, man, we, we, you need to get rid of this. This is too hard for me. Instead of saying, hey, would you just reveal how strong you are right now in the midst of this? We don't need the elimination of storms. It's going to rain on the just and the unjust. We need the reminder, I am with you no matter what. I want you to wear the shoes of the gospel of peace. The gospel is God created us in his image. The truth is man willfully sinned by listening to the lies back in the garden and turned his back on God. The truth is sin deserves and demands punishment. The truth is God, out of his great love for his creation and mankind, sent his one and only beloved son to die a criminal's death on the cross. The gospel is whosoever will repent and re totally deny sin and place their faith and confidence in Christ Whoever believes, which means to be persuaded to action, whoever receives me, I will give eternal abundant life to. That's the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves when we walk throughout today, and as we prepare to walk into this next week, am I bringing peace? When people see me, do they see the joy of the Lord and the peace and the contentment of Christ inside of me? Paul goes, hey, I want you to take up the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He's coming to get you. He, he's coming to attack you. He's inferior. I created him. I kicked him out of heaven. I'm greater than anything you face. Now, you, you, you need to be walking in truth. You need the belt of truth every day. It's going to keep everything else in place. I want you walking not in self-righteousness, but in God-righteousness, I want you to realize I've declared you guilt-free. Now, wherever you go, I want you taking the gospel of peace. Make sure you got the right shoes on every day. Richard, this changed my life. When, when, when should you pray this? When should you suit up every morning? Lord, I want to make sure is even as we get in next week to the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, the other, I want to make sure every day I'm suited up and ready for battle. Lord, I, I need you, right? Lord, I've got to have you. 
and I've got to walk in truth today. Thank you for you. You declare me righteous. I'm walking in righteousness. But wherever my feet go, allow my feet to bring peace to the worlds and spaces in which I live. It only happens through radical repentance and total surrender. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.